Let's see, where am I reading? As Gail and I went to New York to see, her, see Bryce and Laura and the two children this week, it was kind of a shortened week for us to prepare to go and with New Year's and all, so I made mis mistakes in the bulletin. Normally I start working on that stuff around Tuesday and I have it perfected by Friday, but I needed to have that information to Gail by, what, Tuesday, so it's a little bit off today. So I'll let you know if, you, if you're following along in the bulletin for the scripture readings, I have some corrections. And so the first reading, I think it says in your bulletin that we're reading Deuteronomy 5, 1 to 2. It's actually a little more than that. I'm going to be reading 5, 1 to 5, and then skipping down to verse 12 and reading for some more. The book of Deuteronomy, <clears throat> um, written by Moses. Um, the book essentially is three speeches. Three speeches given by Moses prior to the Israelites entering into the promised land. They've been wandering around in the desert for 40 years. Moses has been leading them around. Well, the Lord has been leading them around with the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. And they're about ready to enter the promised land. And Moses has already been told he can't go into the promised land. He's going to die before the people go in. So Moses gives three different addresses to the people of God to remind them of everything that God had done for them in the previous 40 years. <clears throat> One of those things was the giving of the Ten Commandments as recorded in Exodus 20. But we're going to read it from Deuteronomy today. Chapter 5. Moses called all the people of Israel together and said, Listen carefully, Israel. Hear the decrees and regulations I am giving you today so you may learn them and obey them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us on Mount Sinai. The Lord did not make this covenant with our ancestors, but with all of us who are alive today. At that mountain, the Lord spoke to you face to face from the heart of the fire. I stood as an intermediary between you and the Lord, for you were afraid of the fire and did not want to approach the mountain. So he spoke to me, and I passed his words on to you, and this is what he said. And then he begins to give the Ten Commandments. I'm going to skip down now and pick up in verse 12 the commandment that says, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your oxen and donkeys and other livestock, and any foreigners living among you. All your male and female servants must rest as you do. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. But the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. That's the end of that reading. Now, rather than read from Luke chapter 10, I'm reading from Mark chapter 2. <laughs> Quite a little change there. <clears throat> One Sabbath day, 
as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? And as the Israelites went along, after Moses gave that speech that we just read a while ago, they continued to refine the law of Moses, and they defined what work was and what work wasn't, in order that they might know for sure whether they were keeping or breaking the commandment to do no work on the Sabbath. And they had a whole book about this thick, with all the rules and regulations about what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath day, which constituted work or no work. And anyway, one of the things they said you couldn't do on the Sabbath was pick grain. It was right in there. So Jesus and the disciples are picking grain. The Pharisees are accusing them of breaking the law of Moses. Jesus said to them, Haven't you ever read in the Scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days when Abiathar was the high priest, and he broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. You can read about this in 1 Samuel. Indeed, what Jesus is talking about is recorded right there where he and his men were hungry and, and they went into the temple, actually, and ate the, the bread of the presence, as it's called in the Old Testament. It was uh, 12 loaves of bread, one loaf for every tribe of Israel. And they were baked on a weekly basis and they were put in the, on the show table right into the, in the holy place, in the tabernacle. And uh, that bread represented the presence of God. The bread represented the presence of God. After seven days, they could dispose of the bread, and the bread was given to the priests as their food, and then they would put new bread in its place. And David, when he was hungry, went in there and even ate from that bread. And Jesus is using that as an illustration to say this, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So I'm going to be talking about the Sabbath today, and I thought it would be well to be reminded of what Jesus said, to let you know that even though I'm talking about the Sabbath, we are no longer under the law. And we are, and when I, whatever I have to say today is not a law, and I'm not going to say anything today to make you feel guilty or bad or in any way feel negative because you might not be keeping the Sabbath <clears throat> the way that I'm going to talk about today. It's not a law that we're under. We're under grace. And I just want you to know that up front. Technically, the Sabbath was at sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. So if you really wanted to press it here, if we were going to observe the Sabbath like Moses instructed, our Sabbath would be sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. But very quickly after the church began, the Christian Sabbath turned into Sunday because the Lord rose on Sunday. And so Christians have always acknowledged that Sunday is our Sabbath. But it's not a law. I'll come back to it. We're done reading the scripture. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for this, your word, and pray that 2,020 years after the Jesus event, 
that we would glean something helpful and needful that we might live well in this coming year. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I wouldn't mind just sitting down and resting right now. (laughs) Thank you. I might lean on this little podium a little bit more than I normally do today. Oh, that's better already. Have you ever um, ridden a bicycle? Is it safe to assume that everybody in this room has ridden a bicycle? It's something maybe you haven't done for 40 years, but once you know how, you never forget, right? Last spring, Gail was wanting to ride her bicycle. It's up on our garage and a couple hooks upside down, and it just takes the both of us to get it down there. I don't know why, but she wanted that bike down, so we got her down, and guess what? The tires weren't fully inflated. They were a little bit soft. Right now, that doesn't, did that ever happen to you that you went to ride a bike and the tires were you got on it, you noticed that they just flattened out a little bit? Where'd that air go? We didn't, you didn't do anything to make that air somehow, in some way, we don't really understand that air just kind of went out of those tires, right? And you can get on a bike and you can ride it a little bit with flat tires, but when you do that, what happens? It's hard, it takes more energy to uh, you know, in order to ride a bicycle, the tires are a little low. So uh, I want you to think about that principle for a minute because I want to say that sometimes life is like a low tire. Life is like a low tire. Sometimes, well, I'm going to say today that oftentimes life gets sucked out of us, just like the air out of a tire. We don't know where it goes, it just goes. You have a hard day at the office? That's the sound of air going out of your life. You have to work overtime? Yes. (laughs) Too many emails in your inbox? Yes. (laughs) Fight with a boss? Or wife? Or kids? Yes. Modern life has a way of sucking the air right out of you and me. It really does. I'm going to refer to a number of uh, illustrations, research really, that I did last Monday and Tuesday to prepare for this message. I apologize ahead of time. I don't like to read sermons. I like to just give them the best I can from what I have. But I'm quoting here from a number of articles that I read online, it wouldn't be fair of me to just, uh, I just need to give them to you as it were. So bear with me as I read this part of the message and convey unto you the way that life is being sucked out of us today in our modern world. What I'm trying to do here is to create in all of us the need for something different. For many people, our work is sucking the life out of us. Our work. Americans are working longer weeks than ever before. The Center for American Progress reports that 86% of men and 67% of women now work more than 40 hours a week. Add to that how many check work emails at home and over the weekend, it's not hard to imagine the toll 
This is taking on family and personal life. Working overtime is associated with poorer perceived general health, increased injury rates, more illness, and increased mortality. Two recent studies have linked long work hours to a higher risk of depression, and we are skipping vacations to boot. After 10 years of service, the average German gets 20 days of paid vacation. The average Englishman gets 28, and the Finnish get 30. Americans get 15. And Americans aren't even taking all the vacation that they're due. I'm trying to uh, create the need within us for something better, and I'm saying that work is sucking the life out of us slowly, little hiss at a time, and if we don't do something about it, it's going to catch up with us. The United States is the only advanced country in the world with no national vacation policy whatsoever. Many American workers must keep on working through public holidays and vacation days often go unused. On average, the United States workers end up taking 16 paid holiday and vacation days per year. 16. But that number wouldn't meet the legal requirement in most other developed countries around the world. As you might expect, work-life imbalance creates a lot of stress for many U.S. families. 69% of mothers and 68% of fathers say they have too little time with their spouse. 53% of mothers and 37% of fathers report always feeling rushed. Can you identify with that? Feeling rushed? According to a recent study, people who work more than 10 hours a day are 60% more likely to develop heart disease or have a heart attack than people who work just 8 hours a day. So just adding 2 hours, making 10 hours out of 8, increases our chance for heart disease by 60%. How many people, more and more people are working more hours? My point is that work is sucking the life out of us. Secondly, Information overload is sucking the life out of us. Information overload. According to the weekly journal, The Economist, information overload is one of the biggest irritations in modern life. There are emails to answer, virtual friends to pester, YouTube videos to watch, while back in the physical world, meetings to attend, papers to shuffle, and spouses to appease. A profusion of phrases have been coined to describe the anxiety caused by too much information. And then they give some. Data asphyxiation. Data smog. Information fatigue syndrome. Cognitive overload. And time famine. The same article recognizes that there's a good reason why wired, why the word wired means both connected to the internet and high, frantic, unable to concentrate, wired. Social media is sucking the life out of us. Now this stat, I don't want to agree with it, but it says it was gained with research. 73% of adults in America now use a social networking site of some kind. 16 minutes of every hour of every day spent social networking. Do you believe that? 16 minutes of every hour, this research shows. 16 minutes of every hour, the average American. No wonder experts have now identified information fatigue syndrome. 
the fatigue of being overwhelmed by an incomprehensible and indigestible amount of information. And the solution is where they're now calling digital detox, which is defined as a period of time during which a person restrains from using electronic devices so one can focus on social interaction in the physical world. Just giving it to you like I read it. By the way, this sermon will go online later this week, written in this form. Every one of these things I'm giving you are extensively footnoted. You can go online and check them all out for yourself. Recent stats about the skyrocketing glut of electronic messages paint the picture of our culture as work-obsessed, overconnected, working generation that can only laugh sarcastically when someone suggests unplugging for a while. Even on vacation, 44% of adults report checking their email daily, their work email, while they're on vacation. 10% hourly. This inability to even turn off the smartphone in order to rest well dramatically impacts the productivity of these addicted, distracted workers. The digital tether takes a psychic and emotional toll on us. There's a nagging sense that you can never quite be present in the here and now because, hey, work might intrude at any moment. You're not officially working, yet you remain entangled, never quite able to fully relax and detach. Am I describing anybody here? Is this relevant? Okay, just wanted to make sure. I'm almost done. <clears throat> kind of let this lady sum up. For all these reasons and many more, it's no wonder that Dr. Susan Coven, who practices internal medicine at Massachusetts General Hospital, writes the following. In the past few years, I've observed an epidemic of sorts. Patient after patient suffering from the same condition. The symptoms of this condition include fatigue, irritability, insomnia, anxiety, headaches, heartburn, bowel disturbances, back pain, and weight gain. There are no blood tests or x-rays that will clue this condition, and yet it's easy to recognize. The condition is excessive busyness. Excessive busyness sucks the life right out of us. And I'm asking you, is there anything that can be done? Or do we just need to suck it up and just do the best we can? Just trying to create the need. And the solution to the need my friends, is an ancient dictum that came through God to Moses and to the people of God concerning the Sabbath. We read it in Deuteronomy. I think it's worth reading it in Exodus because I want to make a point. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord, your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and everything in them, but on the seventh day he rested. And that is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath and set it apart as holy. Now you may think that that read just like the one I read from Deuteronomy. 
But careful readers will know that there's a difference between the way that's given in Exodus and the way in Deuteronomy. For what I just read in Exodus, the rationale or the reason the Sabbath was their creation. But if you read Deuteronomy passages, Moses adds 40 years later that the reason or the rationale to observe the Sabbath was for their salvation. Do you remember when they were rescued out of Egypt by putting the blood, the Passover lamb, over the door? And in that case, in Deuteronomy, Moses says you remember the Sabbath to remember that event. You put them together, and I think it's telling us something. We observe the Sabbath to remember both our creation and our salvation. Now, our salvation is different, to be sure. Rather than the blood of a lamb, we have been saved through the blood of the lamb. Aren't you glad? But just understand that the primary reason to observe the Sabbath is to honor and revere God for His mighty acts in our lives. That's the primary reason to observe the Sabbath. To take a day off and rest, yes, to be sure, but primarily to honor God and revere God for His work in our lives. That's what the Sabbath's all about. To give God thanks for creating us and saving us in Christ and sustaining us through the Spirit. That's why we remember the Sabbath. Now you may have noticed that in both of those passages, it doesn't talk about the benefits of rest. And that's kind of the need I just created a moment ago. We need rest. We need to have some rest in this weary world. The passages don't give any promise of relief or rest. But you may recall back in November when I was preaching a series, a little three-week series on stewardship, and I mentioned to you that each time we engage in one of the spiritual disciplines, there's always a practical payoff. Do you remember that? When you engage in the spiritual disciplines, there's always a practical payoff. When we were talking about stewardship, I told you that when we engage in the spiritual discipline of giving, the church of God is supported. Remember that? If we engage in the spiritual discipline of Scripture study, the practical payoff is we have more spiritual power at our disposal. When we engage in the spiritual discipline of prayer, the practical payoff is there's more peace in our lives. And when we engage in a similar manner in observing the Sabbath, the practical payoff is much-needed rest, a chance to slow down. And so if you're thinking about New Year's resolutions, my encouragement is find a way to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. It's not a law. It's there for our benefit and for our blessing. We must find a way to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. I've got some practical suggestions on how to do that. Number one, worship the Lord your God on your Sabbath day. If your Sabbath day is Sunday, worship the Lord. I'm calling you or reminding you that Sunday morning worship is so very important because it's the primary way that you and I observe the Sabbath 
and honor and revere God for his work in our lives. I mean, isn't that what we do when we come together? We're thanking God. We're honoring God. We're saying, thank you, God, for being involved in my life. We sing these songs. We pray these prayers. We listen to scripture and these sermons because we are making ourselves available to the Lord to mold us and make us into what he wants us to be. The number one way to honor the Sabbath is to worship. Secondly, find a way not to work on the Sabbath. Now, I understand that I'm talking to some people that that's very difficult for. Some people have to work on Sunday. If you have to work on Sunday, like me, then you need to find another day, like me, to have a Sabbath day. Because Sunday is not my Sabbath day. It can't be. But, you know, if you're working at a gas station and you have to work on Sundays, I understand that. Find another day in which you can rest, in which you can rest. We have to find a way not to work. It's going to be hard. Andre Crouch, in the book, The Tech-Wise Family, writes this. True rest seems to be elusive for most Christians. Only 14% set aside a day a week for rest. And on that one day a week, what do they do? Mostly, they work. Only 19% of the 14% say they don't do any work at all. I'm not smart enough in math to figure out what percentage that is, but only 19% of the 14% say they don't do any work at all on the Sabbath. That's not very many. And it's probably true that most of us find a way to work on the Sabbath, and I'm saying... If we can, if you want to experience peace and blessing, if you want your blood pressure to drop and your heart rate to go down, and you want to have less anxiety and stress in your life, then we simply must be ruthless in cutting out work from a Sabbath day one day a week. Thirdly, we need to unplug. I hear no laughter. I thought that would get a couple chuckles. I figured most of you are thinking, there's no way that I can unplug. My counsel to you is to unplug on the Sabbath day. Unplug on the Sabbath day. You mean turn this off? Yes. Turn this off. Turn the TV off, too. At least one person was honest enough to give us a collective sigh for the whole group. Do I do that? No, but I should. I'm thinking about families, and it'd be one thing to take to have you know take the family to church to go to worship in the Sunday morning, and then the afternoon you're going to go home. And many families enjoy the habit of having a family movie together, don't they? And I always thought, well, that's really cool. I mean, I, 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 one of my children and their family get together and they watch a movie together. But I was thinking about this. While they're watching a movie together, they're all sitting there and they are together. But aren't they all engaged individually with the people on the screen? And isn't it really any different than looking at the screen right here? And if you'd go into the average house on a Sunday afternoon when the family's getting together on a Sabbath day, 
I bet you that you would find in the average household of a mom and dad, two or three kids, if you'd go to visit them on a Sunday afternoon, you would find everybody sitting in the living room looking at their phone. You're going to get in trouble. I'm just, saying, I'm just asking you to consider unplugging from electronic devices. They are taking a toll on us we don't even know. You know, I read a study. That, do I have time for this? Oh, Lord, time's running out on us. I saw a study the other day and didn't include it here, but I think I, maybe I'll go ahead and tell you. They brought a bunch of people into the research lab. Um, they told them they were, they were going to take their blood pressure. And they hooked them all up medically to watch their blood pressure, heart rate, and anxiety levels, measuring what was going on in their fingers and all. <clears throat> and they took these medical measurements, and then they told the people that their cell phones were interfering with the collection of the data, and that they would have to take the cell phones and put them in another room so that it wouldn't disturb the data. You with me now? When they took those cell phones out of that room and put them in another room, guess what they noticed in the people's blood pressure, heart rate, anxiety levels, and everything else? Went off the charts. Because this article then concludes that we have come to believe that a cell phone is an extension of who we are, like a hand or an arm. It gets cut off, and it causes all this psychological stress in us. We are addicted to these things. I admit to you, I am we got to learn to unplug. Fourthly, we need to refrain from other activities on the Sabbath. We need to refrain from other activities that would interfere with our rest. Um, shopping is one of the big ones, probably, that all of us are guilty of. Got to go out and shop on Sunday. A lot of people do their grocery shopping on Sunday. I understand that. But if you really want to observe the Sabbath because you really want to make some wholesome changes to your life, then maybe somewhere during the week you need to do your grocery shopping so that you can have your Sabbath free. I don't know. There's a lot of other things that you could do on the Sabbath, too. We could all take a little inspiration from a 14-year-old boy who lives in Bloomington, Indiana, named Elliot Huck. Elliot was a great, is a great speller. You know familiar with the National Spelling Bee, he entered that, and in his town of Bloomington, he came in high enough to be able to go to Washington and participate in the National Spelling Bee in Washington, D.C., where he came in 45th a couple years ago. Okay, so it's a year later now, he's wanting to go back to Washington again. He's been there, and everybody expects he's going to get to go again, and he can't wait to get there. And then he finds out that the Bloomington, the city of Bloomington, chose to have their spelling bee on a Sunday morning. And Elliot Huck said, all right, I'm not going to participate that in that then because I'm a Christian and I want to honor God with my life. God takes first place in my life. And he talks about how he's going to really miss going to Washington and being part of that spelling bee. But he ended up by just saying, I just trust God that he knows what's best for me, and I'm not going to enter into the spelling bee this year because they're having it on a Sunday. I'm going to be in worship. That kid is a great example for all of us. There are so many things that we can do on Sundays. And over the last 25, 30, 40 years, there's all kinds of sporting events and all kinds of things going on that tempts us. It interferes with our celebration and our observance of the Sabbath. 
I need to wind this up. I got a quote from Dr. Albert Schweitzer. If your soul has no Sunday, it becomes an orphan. So I'm preaching a message to you guys on the first Sunday of a new year because last December, in the middle of the month, I was thinking, what, do, what does my flock need more than anything else as they begin a new year? And this is what I thought it was. All I can do is offer you the opportunity to make some changes that I think will help you to live better and to live well and to have some much-deserved peace and rest and blessing from the Lord by doing something that's very ancient, but perhaps it needs to come back into our lives in the year 2020. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for this reminder about observing the Sabbath day. By taking one day out of the week, we already do that by coming together to worship you, but Pray that you would enable us to take a look at our life and do some other things that might help us to enjoy time with you and time with family and children. and Help us, Lord, to think of some creative ways to observe the Sabbath day and receive some much-needed rest in this weary world. Help us to be still and to know that you are God. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.